Hey, welcome to H2O Church. How's it going? Great to have you here, and a special welcome to H2O Akron, who is also here. Uh, my name is Matt Party, and very excited to share with you today. I get to talk about something that's very exciting to me. I get to talk about family today. This is something I get very excited about talking about and how my own family, my own upbringing, and now being a parent and having my own kids, and how this plays into uh, helping us form this image of what it means to be a child of God. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you have a Bible or the phone you want to open up to Galatians chapter 3, you can do that. And we're just going to be talking about what does this really mean? What is this privilege and this inheritance and this awesome title that we could have being children of God? And here's the big idea for this morning, that as I've gotten older, I've noticed that there is a tension in this. And here's the tension. There's a tension in life of being strong, being mature, being independent, while at the same time being a child of God. As I've gotten older and older, and I think, gosh, there's these pressures to appear strong and to be mature and to, to be an independent person and really be a leader and start leading other people. And we can get deceived in our own mind and think that we have to be less and less a child with a childlike heart. And no matter how old we get or how mature we are, we are always going to be this child of God and very needy of this heavenly Father that's helping us and, and, and pushing us to grow and leading us. And we just want to be in this relationship of dependency on this God. And so let's pray and ask Him to speak to us through this passage. God, we are so grateful to come and to sing and to be reminded of the spiritual truths, especially this one that we're thinking about today, that you are a good heavenly Father. Lord, regardless of our upbringing, what, what we might have as a perception of our own mother and father and how that is projected onto you, we come here and we say that you are a holy, awesome, loving Father to us. You're a holy, loving, good God that wants to parent us and lead us. And we just ask that you would open our eyes to that and help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in the early 1860s, the Civil War was starting to ramp up. And Kentucky was one of the states kind of in the middle there with the Civil War. And they were very uh, just delayed in figuring out, were they going to be a part of the North or the South? There was a lot of indecision in the state. And one of the people that was a leader there was John Crittenden. He was a senator in Kentucky. And he was the one trying to push them to make this decision to join the North. But the whole state of Kentucky was just very indecisive on who they were going to join. And so it just kind of cast this indecision across the state. And whenever you've heard people talk about the Civil War, about brother against brother, well, that really did happen in the state of Kentucky, especially in the family of the Crittendons. John, the senator, John Crittenden, had two sons, Thomas and George. And through this indecision of not knowing which side they wanted to be on, one of them fought for the North and the other fought for the South. And these two brothers actually became generals in this war and fought against one another, one wearing the blue and one wearing the gray. This picture shows these, these two brothers on either side of this battle. 
These men survived the war. They both lived, and later on, decades later, they developed a relationship again after they had just been in this war together. And I was just imagining this conversation at Thanksgiving, perhaps, after this war was over. You know, when you think about being in a family and you think about sibling rivalries, I just imagine the, the brother Thomas from the north saying, hey, George, hey, let's talk about the war. You know, you remember, remember when uh, we beat you guys really bad and how awkward that would have been at a Thanksgiving dinner. I know that I would jab my own brothers and they would jab me in that same way. You know, what colors they decided to put on was really huge. And more important than this physical battle that went on, there's a spiritual battle going on in this, war, in this world. And what side we choose to be on, what's, what family we choose to be a part of means everything to us. It means our very spiritual lives. They were making a decision between blue and gray, but the Bible talks about us putting on Christ like we put on new clothes. And here's what this passage is about that relates to this. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. This passage is telling us that we can be a part of God's family. Just like we would put on a coat, just like we would put on new clothes and clothe ourselves with an outfit that people would look at us and know what side we were on as if the Crittenden brothers, the blue and the gray, people would be able to look at us and say, that's a person that's clothed in Christ because they've put their faith in Christ and they're walking with Him. And the, and the Bible tells us that through this faith relationship, through us putting our belief in Jesus and saying, I want you in my life. I want you so much in my life. It just covers me in Christ. That puts us in this privileged position of being an heir of God's family. When he talks about this promise to Abraham, it's part of being really just a chosen family, the chosen family of God. And so our first point is when we clothe ourselves in Christ through faith, we're in a new family, and that's a really big deal. God is inviting every one of us, every one of you, regardless of your past, regardless of your brokenness, regardless of the sins that you've committed, God is asking you to be a part of His family, and that is a really awesome invitation back to this passage when he says, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. Your ethnicity doesn't matter, slave or free, male and female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. We become brothers with Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. 
Now, this gets a little bit confusing sometimes because I know in this world people will talk about, well, aren't, aren't we all children of God? I'm sure that you've heard that before. People say, hey, we're all children of God, especially when people are trying to accentuate tolerance and, and respect, and, and those are all really good things. We say, we're all good, right? Everybody in this whole world's good because we're children of God. And I get that. I understand the heart of that. But what's really going on there is kind of two different definitions of the children of God. And I want to clarify that right now. When we say we're all children of God and, and aren't we all part of his creation, when we talk about that physical part of that, that is so true. We are all God's workmanship. We are all children of God. Every single human life is filled with dignity, and we should give it respect. And there's a sanctity of life because every single human being was made in the image of God. And regardless of any other physical uh, condition or, or time period or ethnicity or born or unborn, all of these things don't matter because we're made in the image of God, and we're His very workmanship. We're His very creation, and so we are all children of God in that definition. Now, to go further with that, though, when we talk about the spiritual realm of actually being in heaven with Him in His chosen family, that's different. That's a group that you're invited into and you respond to. And not everybody is in that family of God. And that is what uh, is being talked about here in Galatians when he said, you're being invited into not just the, the whole creation of a, a child of God, but a spiritual family of God. And only a certain amount of people that respond to that are going to be in that family. Only those that respond to that. And so in Ephesians 1.5, it explains this really well. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 1. We're only going to read verse 5. And it says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God decided in advance that he wanted to adopt you into his family. Every one of us has that invitation. Every human being that's ever lived has been given that invitation to be a part of his family, to bring you in through Jesus Christ. And why did he do that? Why does he want you in his family? It says this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I love that part of the verse, that you bring pleasure to God, and He loves you so much. He didn't do it because He had to. He did it because He wanted to, and you brought pleasure to Him, and He wants to be with every one of you for eternity. But we have to respond to this invitation of adoption. And I love talking about adoption because my wife and I have adopted uh, two kids, and Going through that whole process really showed me a lot, a, a little bit more about God's heart. And you know, if you know anything about the adoption process, um, the same kind of thing happened with our oldest and our, our middle child, is you got to go through a lot of hoops to adopt a child. 
and you have to go through all these hurdles and, and, and meetings and, and financial things and signing things and people coming to your house and inspecting you and, and looking at you and scrutinizing you. And it's kind of a nerve-wracking process, actually, and it takes quite a long time. But when we got our, our children, they come into your house and you're taking care of them and you're loving on them and you're so excited. But it isn't over yet. Okay, after they come into your house, a social worker comes and visits you once a month for six months. And every time that person's coming to your house, you know, you're, you're cleaning up and you're a little bit nervous. And you're like, gosh, I hope this person likes us. or They don't realize what terrible parents we really are, you know, that kind of thing. And you're just, you know, you're kind of stressed. And so they come every month and they check and how's it going? And they're, you know, seeing the kids and all that. Well, at the end of the six months is the exciting time. Because you go before a judge, and the social worker's there, and there's lawyers there, and all these people come, and all this paperwork is put out on this big table, and they all tell the judge, these people can now adopt this and make them part of their family. And the judge takes his gavel, and he says, these are now part of your family. And he hits the gavel. And that's it. It's over. You're like, yes, it's finally over. This kid that I love with all of my heart that's been living with me is now mine. And they give you this little toy gavel as a souvenir, a picture of a gavel. And, and we keep those gavels because it's just so momentous. And we celebrate that adoption day because you just love these kids so much. And you're so worried through this process, how is this all going to end? And you see when that judge hits that gavel with that authority, he's the final say that says they're yours. And you know, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ and you say, God, I, I want you to adopt me. I want to be in your family. God is the judge. He's the one with the gavel that he slams that down and he says, you are mine. You now have my name and I love you and all the privileges and the love and, and the presence of being in my family, that is now yours. And it is just the most wonderful, amazing realization when we understand that there's a heavenly father in heaven in his perfection and he looks at us in his broken in our brokenness and he says I want you to be mine you know the crazy thing is our kids in this physical realm of adoption they didn't have a choice you know they were little they were they were too young to decide and so the judge puts them with us but you you do have a choice. You and I have a choice to be in that family. And if you haven't made that decision yet and you're still figuring out whether you want to be a Christian, you want to be in this family, like we're so glad you're here and that you're trying to figure this out. And we encourage you to be in this family. And if you've already made that decision, I, I ask you today, are you realizing the privilege of being in that family. Because we always have to come back, no matter how old we are, to this childlike state that our Father has adopted us. In Matthew 18, 3, Jesus is talking to grown men and grown women. And Jesus says, Truly I say to you, 
unless you're changed and you become like children, you will not even enter the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine Jesus talking to some of these older men and women, all dirty and just kind of just, you know, beat up by life? Maybe some old grizzly people in, in, in the audience that he's listening to. And he looks at them, grown men, grown women, and he says, unless you change and become like a child, you're not even getting into heaven. Wow. It doesn't matter how awesome we think we are or how independent we think we can be or how self-dependent we think we should be. And we really need to just be strong and we need to show everybody around us how awesome and mature and just grown up we are. Jesus says, you need to change and you need to get that childlike heart before me or you don't even understand the relationship. You can't even be a part of this if you don't get to that humble, soft part just like a child. And you know, being, being humble, becoming humble like a child actually makes you stronger in this world. That's probably the biggest takeaway that I have for you today. This is the thing that's changed my life. That I used to think I needed to really show people how great I was. And I, I was really concerned about my reputation and what people thought. And it's actually counterculture on 180 degrees different when God comes in and he says, you want to be strong and mature and have a great life and have control over things in this world and have a good marriage and have a good relationship and have good ministry and have a good, do a good job in your job and all these things? You want to be strong in those? Be my kid. Be dependent on me. Be a humble child before me and let me lift you up to be strong and to be powerful. You know, I'll never get tired of my kids needing me. I have three children. And they're still at those ages that I just, I just love it every day. If any of them comes up and said, Dad, will you carry me? You know, my daughter, who's getting quite tall, okay, if you've seen her, she will still run at me, and I'm like, oh, okay, we're doing this, and she's jumping into my arms, and I'm like, whoa, because she's getting really tall, and I love it. I still love it. If they were 25 and did that, I'd still love it. I know that's not going to happen, and if you saw that, you'd think it was weird. I'd think it was awesome. But I really got to, like, start bracing myself for all of them now. As they, as they run to me and jump into my arms, I'm going to need to start lifting a little bit more. But if my son's tired and he said, Dad, will you carry me upstairs? Man, love it. I absolutely love it. And you know, it reminds me of times when I needed my earthly dad. My dad died about 15 years ago. And... I held his hand as he died. And that was one of the hardest valleys of my life. Because I still felt young in my life. I still felt very needy of my dad in a lot of ways. And I miss him. 
And I remember when he would show me how to do things. He really loved fixing things. He was amazing at, uh, at, at being a salesman, and he was amazing at a lot of different things. But one of the things that I saw him best at was just like fixing things and building things. And he was just incredible in that way. And I remember times of just watching him work and, or, or him showing me how to do something. And it was just a great experience. It made me stronger and wiser to watch my dad do things. And the times I miss him the most now is like when I'm working on my house or I'm, I'm doing some project around the house. And I think, oh, I wonder how my dad would do this. And it brings back these good memories of being with my dad. Because he showed me stuff and he, he made me feel safe that I could do it because he was guiding me. And now I'm looking at 49 years old. 50 is very close. And as I'm getting older and older, I want that same heart toward my heavenly father. God, how do I do this? I want to do this the way you want to. And I don't always know how. And I don't always have the strength. But I need you. And I have found it to be true that the more dependent I am on my heavenly father, the stronger I feel. So it's not, it's not a thing of, of weakness to be a person with a childlike heart. It's something that we should long for. It's something that we should always have a hunger for. Just like we always kind of hunger for our mom and dad's attention and we hunger for our mom and dad's approval, that hunger is really in there because we're longing for our Heavenly Father to tell us, I'm proud of you. I can help you. Be dependent on me. Be my child. I love you. I've adopted you. I want you to be a part of this family so that I can show you things. But you know, I know why I don't do that sometimes. And I'll just be really honest and open with you because we value that here in this church. Are there, there are times in this life where I am tempted to go away from that. I'm, I'm tempted to go away from the Father. I'm tempted by sin, just like you are also. And the times that I'm most tempted by sin is when my heart gets broken or I feel hurt. Hurt by people, hurt in my marriage, hurt by my kids, hurt by life, hurt by just my own brokenness and all those things. And, and I need my broken heart to be taken care of, okay? Taking care of a broken heart is really like childlike business that we never grow out of. I see many men and women of advanced years still functioning out of hurt and brokenness because their childlike heart was broken and they didn't know how to go to the Heavenly Father to get it mended. I was reading this story that just, wow, blew me away recently. In the 1940s, there was a young man, hardworking man, fell in love with this woman. And he had never been with any other women before. And he just fell in love with this woman and pursued her. And they started dating and got engaged. And his heart was just as happy as could be to give his life to this woman. Well, during World War II, he got called away to go uh, and be a soldier and fight overseas. 
and he was engaged, and he just couldn't wait to get back and spend his life with this woman, to, to get married and have kids and get a house and just be a family man. And while he was away, his wife got lonely. And in a moment of weakness, she cheated on him. And this young man, he was in his early 20s, wide open heart. He comes home from fighting as a soldier, and, and he could just see something's wrong. And he says to his wife or his fiance, what's wrong? And she's like, just starts crying. She's like, I'm just, I'm so sad to say this to you, that I cheated on you while you were gone with the military. And it just broke his heart. He didn't know God. He didn't know anything about forgiving her or forgiveness from God or anything like that. And he just didn't know what to do. And he just went into this tailspin. He was absolutely brokenhearted and filled with rage. And she felt so bad that she said, why don't you go sleep with somebody else too? And maybe that will help this situation. Isn't that terrible? And they ended up getting married. And their marriage was so bad that she, she just constantly trying to fill this brokenness and this emptiness in him and said, why don't you just go sleep around? We'll just have an open marriage. And so he did. And he just kept sleeping around trying to fill the brokenness that was inside of him like a, like a child. Obviously, their marriage didn't make it. No marriage could survive that, and they, they got divorced. And this man just turned into a complete hedonist, thinking that he could fill this void with sex with anybody that he could. Later on in life, he started a magazine. He was very successful. This man that I'm talking to you about is Hugh Hefner, the founder of Playboy magazine. He's the famous owner of the Playboy Mansion. And he spent the rest of his life trying to fix a brokenness with the wrong thing. And you know, decades later, he was in an interview, and someone asked him and got off the subject about, like, what's been hard in his life. And he referred back to the 1940s when his heart was broken, and he didn't know how to fix it. Man, when I read that story, I was just blown away. You and I get hurt in life. And just like a child could just throw a tantrum, or a child will just run off to its room and pout, because it doesn't know how to just fix what's going on. And you need a parent to come along and say, hey, here's what happened. And here's how God wants to interact with you to fix your broken heart. He had no idea. It's interesting. It was called Playboy because it's just a boy at play. A grown man trying to fix something that happened to him when he was young. And I just wonder how many things go on in our own life. How many things are we functioning in right now just out of brokenness of something that happened, but we feel too grown up to go back there. We, we feel too mature. I, I got to look like I'm together. And so I don't even admit what happened in my past because it might look childish. And your heavenly father is saying, come to me. Let me help you. Let me love on you. 
In Proverbs 4.23, it says this so clearly. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart. There's a lot that happens in our hearts, and, and, and even as an older person now, I can, I can go back and just feel so childish. I can feel so insecure. I can feel like, gosh, is this really where I need to go? And this verse reminds me, yeah, go back there. Because what's happening in here is going to affect everything else in my life. Everything is flowing out of that. And when I come to God and I, I come in those times and I'm really open with Him and I'm looking to Him as my Heavenly Father, He starts telling me what my true identity is. And it changes everything. He, he reminds me, Matt, you're my kid. I've got good things for you. Don't forget I've adopted you. Don't forget you're loved. You're chosen. You're treasured. I care about you. I can fix these things. If you would open your heart again, even though we want to keep it closed and get it calloused so no one else will hurt us, he'll get in there and he'll open it up again and start reminding us of our true identity. So finally, as we pray, here's the response. As you and I, as we realize our identity of who we are, the most important thing about you, that if you've responded in faith through Christ and He's in you, you can go to Him as your Heavenly Father. He can help you this week. He can help you today. He can help you every day. And if you seek His love and you keep saying, Dad, help me. Help me in this situation. I need you and I want to be dependent on you. He is going to take you to great places. He's going to make you stronger. He's going to make you more mature. He's waiting for us with open arms to help us in everyday life and to pour out his love on us like a good heavenly father. Let's pray for that.